Introducing Gerald David Winston, owner of Pangea AV, a production specialist with a passion for helping people communicate and educate through great events. With a background as a long lens camera operator for film productions and corporate events, Gerald's skills extend beyond a remote drone pilot utilizing his, you know, 107A cert. He firmly believes in the impact of a great production on the hearts and minds of audiences. Pangea AV is the culmination of all the shows that helped him become the specialist he is today. Tune in to hear more about Gerald's insights on production and event planning and the power of communication. Welcome to Eventus 365, the podcast that's all about corporate events and the magic behind the scenes. I'm your host, Yannick DaCosta, and I am excited to take you on a journey through the world of corporate events. But before we dive in, let's talk about the stress of creating marketing material for your event. We all know how tough it can be when deadlines are tight and resources are limited, but guess what? YKME Visual Communications has got your back. Our design firm specializes in working with corporate event professionals just like you, and we're here to help take the stress out of creating stunning graphics for your event. Our team of expert designers can deliver custom brand compliant designs in just 12 hours. So whether you mean branding, signage, marketing materials, or anything else, YKMD's got you covered. Okay, now that that's done, Let's start the show. Welcome, Jarak. Thank you so much for hanging out with me today on Aventus 365. Can you tell us the story behind creating Pangea AV and what inspired you to start this journey in the world of event production? Uh, I guess I'd have to say live event itself, I kind of stumbled into. I was doing uh, in-house electrical. Like a lot of people. Yeah, you know, and it was like, I think it was like 3 a.m. And I was like, I'm going to pull over real quick and get a drink and gas up. And when I go inside to pay, the guy in front of me just happened to be someone I went to high school with. And not like where we were close, but enough to be like, man, you look really familiar. And we do that whole like that whole like, do I know you kind of thing? Dance. You know, when you uh-huh. caught someone's attention and he's like, oh, we had I think it was math class together. I don't remember the exact class mm-hmm. But we started talking. And he owned a company that did all the shows at the Ryman. So he's like, there's really no commitment. You come down if you want to work. And then he kind of went into his little spiel because um, he liked that. Once I said I was an electrician, he was like, oh, well, that has a lot of value. And he was like, just come down, work a load out. You get a free T-shirt, watch the van. And he's like, if you never want to do it again, he's like, no hurt feelings. You don't have to quit your current job. So very like high yeah. reward, low risk. Yeah. You know, so I started doing that pretty much that Friday. I think it was two days later. I was at the Ryman doing a loadout and I was in love it ever since, you know, and that's what got me into live events. What made me want to kind of go on my own with Pangea AV. Because, you know, I did that. I was a stagehand for mm-hmm. what I feel is probably way too long. Some people, <laughs> that's their path. And there's nothing wrong with that. You yeah. can be a stagehand for 40, 45 years, yeah. whatever, if that's your thing. Um, they're always valued. They're always needed. But for me, I think I did it for like seven or eight years where that was like solely my niche. And I didn't realize, honestly, how much of my future I was sacrificing. Because regardless of how much I love being a stagehand for Ryan, with the history and big acts, small stage, it was a very, very great experience. It didn't empower me to save for retirement. It didn't empower me to save. I'm 299, so no insurance. A broken car and you're a broke dude. Yeah. You know, it's very, like, it doesn't take you long to realize that if you're out here, like, and I was born here, so home field advantage. When my car broke down, I've got three sisters to call. I've got a whole slew of cousins, like, 
36 cousins, <laughs> eight nephews. That's, one a, that's nephew. a massive family. I love that. Yeah. So I appreciate that. So I don't think people realize like that's what home field advantage is, is you don't go homeless when your car breaks. Mm-hmm. That's not true when uh, people move here yeah. and they don't have that support network. You know, if you have a good friend, yeah, maybe he can come get you. Maybe not. Maybe you're on the side of the road missing your gig. You know, so with Pangea AV, it was really a desire for a more concrete future. As I started getting past this, it's just how do I spend my Friday afternoon? This is fun. But when I really started to look at what does it really take to be sustainable? And I really kind of latched onto that word um, because I kind of feel like I didn't figure that out soon enough. The kids today, I think, have a big advantage because they're thinking about sustainability from the get-go. Yeah. There's there's a solid decade of my life where I wish I had that same word in my You know, um, so I started paying GAV just to kind of change that because I noticed that as an employee, then someone else sets my price. As a 1099 contractor, as a business, I set my price. And I just have to deal with who wants to come do business with me. So it's a little bit of a different game, but that's what started it, you know, in a long, I think that's fair. (laughs) I think that's fair. I think that was, there's a lot to unpack there. Cause I, (laughs) again, I say this all the time. Anytime I find similarities between me and my guests, I'm always surprised. I don't know why. Um, because for me, one of my biggest things about like starting my business, I own a design firm was that constant um cycle of being full-time employed and then being laid off because budget cuts and then being hired again or then um getting like contract work because they still like your work they just can't afford to pay you full-time with the benefits and the fun stuff and Mm -hmm. it's just like well this is inconsistent well how do I fix that start a business control your own future and Um, that's and that's really it and so that's kind of how I made my own my own transition as well um, but talk to me, talk to me like as a, as like a production specialist, what do you consider the most important elements that contribute to creating a successful and memorable event? For me, I know it seems cliche, so I'm trying to like word it in a way that doesn't just seem like some old man. Sometimes the cliche in, stuff or the best stuff. In an old movie, but the secret element to our business is time. Everything else is a big second place to time. And that's one of the things I really did to take control of my life was I started to financially reward clients that were better managers of their time. That's my number one filter. If you're a chaotic client, if you can't seem to have your stuff together, I tolerate it for a little bit. I'm forgiving and understanding as a person. As a businessman, if your inability to pre-plan, if your inability to conduct your business negatively impacts my bottom line, i.e. Do I, did I lose money because of this, you get two times. And then I refer you to someone else. Um, that's when you're kind of on shaky ground. Um, if I won't refer you to someone, that means you're not what I consider a sustainable. That you're just in it for the short term. You're reacting to the market. Your clients aren't as submitted as I need at my level. At our level, I feel that we're here in Nashville. We're really striving to prove ourselves as a top tier t- uh, city we want to host the olympics we want to host the super bowl so i think we're in that point where here in this city we're not playing around anymore um, so clients that don't want to have it together they really need to when you come or you might find yourself in like a holiday in not the opera well see now i now i need even the venues are doing it. now i need to run it back like what do you quantify or how do you qualify someone who is not chaotic what 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 are okay. you looking for as a vendor to partner with 
um, an event planner when you're looking um, for your ideal client? The ideal client is, and it takes a couple of things that I get why some clients can't replicate this. Because the ideal client is someone who's doing repeat business with their client. Because mm-hmm. that's what leads to having it really down. This isn't their first time. This isn't their first time with that individual group of, of uh, whether it's a corporate entity or it's broadcasting and it's sports teams, whatever. What I've noticed is the people that really have it down pat are the people who are like, this is what we do every day. You know, when I go and do PA work for American Idol is where I really see it in sync. ABC really has a tight machine. They really know how to do all the planning on the front end so you're not scrambling on the back end, which mm-hmm. means you don't just plan for plan A, but you budget for plan B as well. You go ahead and get those quotes for the backup. You go ahead and do, you don't just have his name sitting on a sticker board, but you line it up and they take preparedness very seriously. They take those budget items very seriously because you can pay a little more in the front end to have consistent performance mm-hmm. or you can pay inconsistently on the back end. Say, say you pay, um, whether it's PA, say you pay them a lower weight or whatever. And you save some money on the front end. Your boss is impressed. Excel sheet numbers in the green. That's great. Uh, but on the back end, the guy who didn't have training or the person that didn't have whatever was late, stumbled, hit a camera, boom, someone has to pay $1,500 deductible. That savings now gone. That little special credit you got on the front end is now going to be a negative on the back end. And what I've realized is if I'm dealing with clients that, one, are dealing with repeat clients themselves, it means I know they're doing something right. I've noticed some clients are always dealing with a new client. So I have to think to myself, like, why? You know, is that a good reason? As some people are ladder climbers and they're just moving up super fast. And so they'll be, new, they'll be doing well and doing well with new clients. But some people also are just always trying to just replace the client from the show that caught fire last time. You know, so by seeking time, when clients reach out to me, I mainly deal with the people side of things, referral list or providing camera operators or just being a camera operator myself. The best product I sell is myself. <laughs> um, but what it comes down to is when they call me, if they can call me at least three, three weeks to 30 days out. That's when I know you're taking the time element seriously. If they're calling in live events less than that 30-day window, really less than that three-week window, I know like either A, you just got this client, something changed up, you know, we should be able to book labor and stuff like that about 30 days out. And if you're able to do that, or at least a lot of the big boy repeat clients should be able to. Um, and if you're able to do that, that's how you get the best guys. Because if you're not booking a certain level out, the best are busy. If you're booking labor by doing cattle calls, just a max text message out to 100 individuals, well, then you're getting those that were sitting on the couch who had the Oops. time to respond. That just, that just stressed me out. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's, it's too much. It's not the way to do it. So cattle if I can call. see that they respect cattle. time, then I know they're going to have the other elements in place. Because time is so tightly attached to the budget and that monetary incentive we're all working. Um, along with the human component, which means when things are properly planned, people aren't stressed out. I don't see that desperation or that pain and angst. You know, it's kind of like when someone's cooking food, you want all that love and positive energy to go into that food. Mm-hmm. Same thing if people are happy and they're doing their job and they feel safe and provided for, um, that love and energy is going to go into your show. I think all that energy transference is very real for live events. Oh, yeah. No, I've been there, done that. Um, energy transfer is completely a real thing, positive and or negative. Um, on that note, can you share uh, a specific example of a challenge that you had while working at an event and how you worked on and how you kind of worked to overcome it and like whatever obstacle it is to still deliver like an outstanding production? 
for, I think one of the things that's hardest is to remain hospitable and keep hospi hospitality at the forefront. Uh, I think sometimes in live events, we forget that um, we are part of the hospitality business a lot, you know, especially with the corporate side of things, we're in a hotel. Um, so for me, one of my more recent shows, when and I'll leave the names out of it or whatever, because um, it's not a blame game. It's just problems and solutions. How I kind of see it. Um, but they showed up and I was supposed to be setting up three cameras that day. And this is for a big multi-million dollar show. This isn't some little whatever. Not that it matters. Little show, big show. They should all get the same mm -hmm. uh, white glove treatment. But they show up and they're like, all right, here's all your stuff. And, you know, it's a lot of stuff. So I'm not the guy who checked it in either. So I don't know how process went. And I only get one real camera. The rest is bits and pieces. This part doesn't work. The tripod doesn't tighten, little things like that. Dealing with all that, it really makes me re remind myself that I have to be patient because, you know, you just want to have your stuff. You just want to set up and move forward. And it took like almost two full days for us to get the other two cameras from that event. And so during when, that. When was the event? Well, we had a two-day setup. Oh, thank so, God. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Luckily. I mean, really luckily. Um, and even then, I was even a little was bit. Was it lucky or bit, did you plan for it? I want to say they planned for it because this it was a big show. Because even after the two-day setup, we had a full day of rehearsals. So this is a prime example of giving that buffer to yeah. allow for those inconsistent things that aren't really my fault. It's not the client's fault, you know. Mm -hmm. um, and it took that much time because every time we thought, because it also wasn't like, hey, we're missing two whole cameras. It's like, hey, we're missing a tripod. As I'm discovering the pieces, as they're coming up and telling me. And luckily, we're in Nashville, so we have all the local vendors here, yeah. Yeah. which is a real privilege because then when you need something, the guy is just driving 20 minutes down. It's yeah. not like you're out of state and it's like, going to take eight days. You know, yeah. so that's another thing about knowing that sensitivity is, I guess, leveraging your communal strengths is what that falls in. Mm -hmm. But it was just really hard because I really just wanted them to like swap it. It's like this particular vendor was playing a game where it's like, you know, they're out of stuff. They didn't want to tell you they're out of stuff. They piecemealed this together, but they had a shop guy do it, not a cameraman. So he just saw a tripod, put a tripod in a case. He didn't like QC it or bench it, you know? Um, yeah. Keeping positive in those, that's really my solution is keeping positive. Because all you can do is pass the note. Hey, this is missing. I need to know. Boss says, okay, I'm going to place the order. Hopefully we'll get it soon. And it's not his fault when it doesn't come. And it's not the poor shop guy. You know what I mean? He doesn't, he's not a camera guy. You know, it's a Sunday. I'm sure someone just said, grab this and put it over there. You know, so who really knows where that breaking command comes from? Um, but I do find that that is a prime example of when having that time really saved our bugs because I feel like that client was not going to be happy with one camera. It was not going to be a solution they were going to settle for. This yeah. room is huge. It had a giant 60-foot um, LED wall. We had LED outboards and screens. Like video is a huge component Without iMag, you lose a lot of something. It doesn't feel like the grandness. It doesn't feel like those big spectacles we're used to. Mm -hmm. I hope that answered that. <laughs> no, it did. And I think it was also a really great transition into like kind of talking about the rapid evolution of technology that's happening, not just in the event industry, but just in the world, right? Like how do yeah. you stay ahead of the curve and ensure that you're utilizing the latest tools and technologies in your productions? Because I mean- it even sounds like when you're like assembling your toolkit, it's, there's some struggles there. There is. Um, our projects are so big that we are very dependent on each other. Um, very, very dependent on each other. If one component starts to fail, we're all going to feel it. 
You don't really live in a bubble in live events. Um, and for me, I think that's why I named the company Pangea AV is because I wanted everyone, whether you're video, lighting, whether your background is this or that, the whole company's idea is that we all come from the same place. Even our continents used to all be one giant mass, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and so keeping that mind that we're all on the same team, we're all here to get this show done. The show must go on, the old cliche. Um, and so with that in mind, it's just, I think, important for us to realize that keeping pace with technology is really about just keeping connected. You know, again, another one of those cliche things, but um, being connected is a big, important part of what we do. And so I feel like if you're just networking, if you're hanging out, especially with industry professionals that you admire, industry professionals, maybe they're your mentor, maybe they're just someone like, oh, he's doing a job I really like. The more you talk to those people, the more you hang out with them, by default, you're going to get a gear update. You're going to get to learn about the newest tech because that's what that person's doing. So I pretty much just hang out with my mentors. If someone's doing something I want to do, if someone's flying a drone, dude, I'm standing right next to them. I'm that guy asking too many questions until they either give me their phone number or tell me to, <laughs> to go on that I'm being a nuisance. Um, and there is a balance knowing how to approach people questions but it's really just about staying connected once you're asking questions and really trying to be a helper you know trying to see where people are having problems and see if you can't lighten that load a little bit that's mm-hmm. the other thing if you're going to take their time by sharing that presence with them you want to make sure you don't come off as a burden and i do that by always being a helper you know in that way when i'm hanging out with these people they just by default you know most people are they're a business on the tech side yeah. yeah yeah that legacy knowledge they love their, they're going to talk about the new toys oh i just got this and i just got that Look at this. And when you're hanging out with them, especially outside of show site, show site's great too. But show site, sometimes people are a lot um, busy, a lot going on. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But when you're just hanging out at their house, you go to have fun, especially among videographers. You go have a fun shoot day where you bring out the drones, you bring out your camera and stuff. You get to relax. They get to teach you their techniques. You get to get on not just the same page with technology, but also the same page verbally. You start to really understand, are we defining excellence the same way? Because mm-hmm. um, I feel that's another key component about whether it's vetting a client or hanging out with coworkers, whatever it is, you do want to make sure you're talking, especially when it comes to how you're grading things. There can be a lot of flux, but when I say something's awesome, I need to know that you also think that's awesome. Otherwise, I might be doing something that's subtly wrong or inconsistent mm-hmm. or something that doesn't rise up to your standard. And I think that's important. For us all to be on the same page. It absolutely is. I'm a really big fan of just like mentorship and also like being a part of associations, which I mean, there's there's other like episodes where we're actually talking. Actually, I think um, if you're familiar with Will Kern, we were actually having a conversation about um, associations and and I'm big on associations, especially when it comes to what I do, graphic designer. Um, I'm big on surrounding myself with people who will hold me to a higher standard so I can continue to move the bar. But I'm just as big on finding myself in places where my clients are so that I can also understand what they're looking for and what they need and how I can use this bar to deliver their bar. Um, That's important. So I, I can appreciate your appreciation for wanting to utilize a network of people to continue to learn and grow and and figure out which way to go um and i think i think it's also a good segue into like right now not even right now so much but i think things are also again evolving 
yeah there's a lot of evolution happening in the in the event space right now and I almost feel like there's not enough people talking about how it's actually evolving because of course from the year that shall not be named yeah. everything <laughs> kind of just went up and down and we're not even really sure what where to find our heads like we don't even have like data or stats to really support any real decisions it's yeah. just like throw the throw it at the wall see what sticks um and I mean, there is definitely a rise in virtual events, um, especially with what's happening this year and people's financial situations. Yeah. But then there's also a rise in hybrid events because of, you know, people wanting to make things more accessible and more inclusive. Yeah. But then there's also the different groups of people who are like, bump all of that, give us all live events. Um, all that in mind. What do you think the future holds for virtual and hybrid event formats? I really like talking about virtual events and hybrids, all of them interconnected, because anything that I think gets the message further, I think is really important and worth investing in. And that's really where I think virtual steps in, because even... I think some people get too busy thinking like one's going to replace the other. Is it virtual versus live? You're never going to really replace the live event feeling because of the numbers. You know, that energy transfer we talked about, it resonates um, based on the numbers. You know, a million people gathered together has a stronger impact than five people. You know, and once you experience that, it seems very obvious, you know, even though we don't necessarily have a way to really directly quantify that. But where I do think where virtual events and hybrid it's really kind of own their key, you know, is in the redundancy. You know, when you're doing conferences for medical professionals, surgeons, pediatrics, um, people who really do have life and death decisions to make, and they're making those decisions based upon disinformation. Um, so then I think it's important that no matter where they are, it's not about does virtual and hybrid empower you to sell more tickets? Yes, but it's not really about the more money that opens up for you. Does virtual and hybrid give you the ability to pretty much record every session? That way it's on demand. Yes, but that's not really what it's about again. It's really about though, the main underlying support system is about redundancy. So even after lockdown is over, I kept doing virtual events. I kept doing hybrid events. And one of the key reasons is because we did this Texas uh, school superintendents. Mm -hmm. It's TASBO, T-A-S-B-O. They were going to have a live event. And then that huge winter storm you know, just blanketed everything in snow. As Ted Cruz was busy hauling off to Jamaica or wherever for his family vacation, you know, his whole state was under snow. Um, and so our show was only able to go on because of virtual, because of that presence. Yeah. So not only was my gig not canceled, which is yay, that's again, the sustainable part. The reason why virtual and hybrid events are more sustainable is because you're putting in, you're planning, you're preparing for success by putting in that redundant level. You know, in America, we're all about insurance. One third of your money most certainly needs to be protecting the other two thirds. And if it's not, you're being negligent. And you don't have to be. You're allowed to be. Yeah, I, I, actually don't disagree. I actually don't disagree with that too much. I, I'm big on a lot of different. I'm actually big on insurance, actually, now that I'm saying it out loud. I don't think I realized how big I was. Because my mom makes fun of me because um, I have insurance on way too many things. And she's like, what? And I'm like, because if it breaks, I don't want to yeah. buy it all over again. And she's like, yeah, but you're also paying like $10 a month. Like, to, and I'm like, 
I mean, it also costs like $4,000. What's $10,000? Yeah. Well, and what you can do too on that particular instance, if you want to make your mom happy, but also utilize having that one third protect the other two thirds. I have some for small value items if they're less than like uh, two or $3,000. So like the drone, I get the insurance through the company, mainly oh. because they even have flyaway. Even if this thing just takes off, they'll send me a new one. And I pay a little deductible, but so that's worth it. Big fan on that one. But for like my iPod or my Sony Walkman or little things, things that are just 300 bucks, what I have is just a bank account that has three grand in it, and that's my insurance. I paid well, that 10 bucks fair. to myself. I think that's fair. Untouched. It has to be untouched though. Um, but that's what you do. You just make, you become your own insurance company. And that stops because there's certain items where the insurance is kind of a hustle. If you do the well, math, oh, if I go longer than eight months, I've paid you more than. I mean, I've heard, <laughs> I've heard. So I live in Jamaica to give you context. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> uh, thank you. Uh, I think so too. I've heard that um, in Jamaica, and it, it, it's mind boggling for me, but I've been told, and I don't know if this comes from a place of ignorance or not, so don't take it like as law, but yeah. I've heard that having homeowner's insurance here is a waste of money because if let's say your house burns down, the the time it's going to take you to actually file that claim, you could have saved up to buy a new house and moved on. And I'm like, oh, it takes that like, long. I was like, that's, I don't know how I feel about that. I was like, I don't agree. because. And then apparently homeowner's insurance only covers like the walls, not the contents of the house. And I was like, this sounds right. This feels like a lie. Yeah. It makes sense. And in my head, I was like, I was thinking about it. I was like, I feel like this is, a very specific situation, a very specific person's experiences because yeah. they did not get the right homeowner's insurance because there's nothing more than, I, this also sounds really bad. So I lived in Fort Lauderdale and regular situation when you live, I don't know why, but regular mm -hmm. situation when you live downtown in Fort Lauderdale is car break-ins. Um, yeah. Oh, Atlanta too. I, I got robbed at gunpoint. Oh, know. dang. Mind you, and listen, and I am living in like these very seemingly opulent areas, yeah. but apparently, you know, that's where you go to steal. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, I mean, do you steal from poor people? It doesn't make sense. They have what you have. So why bother? So, you know, let's come to this area where like, it seems like these people have a lot. And then sometimes I remember when they stole my, like they stole my car and I was like, I thought it was a joke. I was like, What's happening here? Yeah, you thought your toad was down like, the corner. <laughs> I'm like, bro, I was like, I have no money. I was I was parked. I was parked right next to a Bugatti. And I was like, and my car is the car you want? What's happening? What's happening? I was like, you know how hard I have to work to buy my little BMW? Like, no, it wasn't a BMW. It was like my little Mercedes. And this is what you, seriously? I was like, look at me. It was, it was hilarious. Um, But. I'm definitely sorry that, that happened to you. Um, as you can tell, um, I'm, I'm kind of over it. Um, I had yeah. a lot of trauma around it when it happened, but, um, I had insurance. Um, and when I say insurance, I mean like for all the things, I mean, yeah. like, my car was kind of like, like a driving like closet. So there were like unnecessarily yeah. expensive shoes, ridiculously expensive purses, like I always had emergency stash money in like the center console. Yeah. Like, so all of this is gone. And then I'm like, oh, and the car. And I had like, I had gap insurance on the car. So like, 
like it was really just a minor inconvenience with a little bit of trauma but like mm-hmm. you know the insurance kind of said I got all my stuff back brand spanking new like the car was good so I didn't even care I was like whatever all of yeah that good insurance company is worth its weight it really is yeah no I I am definitely a fan uh let let me let me rein us back here a little yeah. bit before because <laughs> I I can take us off into the deep end of nothingness um can you kind of talk to us like in your experience what are some of the creative ways to incorporate sustainable practices into event production and like how has your company embraced these initiatives because I mean you were talking about having a sustainable career but what about producing sustainable events so I think and there's different levels of sustainable right you have environmental sustainability you have economic sustainability you have emotional sustainability um because you want to, you want your events to be challenging enough where no one gets complacent, and whether visually, when they're just kind of participating in the event, or even when they're working, um, and that's why our our events really kind of just constantly evolve. They don't really get static; they just kind of build off each other. And I think that's one of the keys to being sustainable is being mindful and being intentional in balancing these three segments. I think. It becomes too much for a lot of people, and a lot of people cannot pull this off, which is why we don't see huge, shining examples. Mm-hmm. Um, because I think a lot of people will sacrifice one for the other, but without all three, you don't really get to a sustainable model. I'm um, not a truly sustainable model. Yeah. I focused on finances first because I was poor, and that's what I had to focus on. Yeah. You know, um, I guess I was poor in one way, poor like with actual cash flow money. Yeah, yeah, I know. I don't know why I knew what yeah. you meant, but I feel yeah. like because I knew, other people knew. Um, and I think people forget that. So, like, you don't have to have a lot of money for a mechanic if your cousin's a mechanic and is willing to help you out. You have to answer the phone. You have to have that buy-in. I think for a company to really be sustainable, they have to keep their people foremost. And if you're keeping your people foremost, you're also keeping their children foremost. I think a lot of times they just want to be like, oh, it's work, work, work. We're all family here. It's like, but I have a big family. You know, and it's not a light lift. What I'm asking companies to do by being a conscientious provider and to provide a safe workplace is not a small ask. And it's why so many companies fail to provide. Um, But in order to be sustainable, I think they have to put a lot, a lot of investment on planning. Just like I said before, if you plan well, not only can you kind of Lego your events, knowing that you're going to want this simple model for this first year to grow and build, but you don't want to scrap the old model. You want to be able to use that as a template and then build off it. So you're still becoming like new a learning and fresh. experience. Exactly. But also just on a, an environmental level. So that way you're not throwing away that whole old set. Mm-hmm. You know, and especially you see oh, this in print fair. and graphics. Exactly. Theater is really great about it. You know, the set yeah, for this yeah, will yeah. turn into the set of this and the set yeah. of this. Like they don't throw nothing away, which is yeah. awesome. Yeah. Not nothing. They throw something away. Yeah, not but no, I, I know what yeah. you mean. Like they're very good at being um, fiscally responsible and they are conscious. That is. And so I think live event could get some of that. You know, um, I would be excited to see, especially more with intent to reuse, like even graphics and graphic design, where you see like every show is pretty much they trade out everything, whether it's the colors or because the print and the graphics gets too worn. You know, I think if they invested a little bit more in the front end, got a higher quality yeah. graphic that sustained that, took care of it. And there is a balancing oh, because oh, where's it shipped and where's it logistics? I was about to say, even that I, I don't I don't even want to call it the graphics then because then it's really about the production of 
the production of the graphics. So I think the actual signage, I guess, is the right word. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, the upgrade the sticker production. quality yeah. and the yeah. actual components. Because what I see them do is they get them, they look great, they put them out, and they all go to the dumpster. Oh, it'd be great every time there is a yeah better way to reuse these materials. And I think we're really close. And maybe maybe it's not even printing them. Maybe it's using digital. And that's yeah, and that's the key. Maybe, you know, in the future, I think yeah. they're getting to a point where either through LED walls or through projection, um, they're getting close to eventually we will paint everything with light and not. And I think that will have a big environmental sustainable impact as electricity becomes easier to produce, especially here in Tennessee, because we have a lot of hydroelectric using solar more. And more. Um, if we are able to successfully get off our dependence of coal, allow that to fall back to a redundant safeguard system rather than a primary keystone system the way it plays today. I feel that when we paint things with electricity, we'll be able to replace that energy loss quicker uh, and more cost effective, you know, cheaper. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, we won't be producing this huge amounts of waste. You know, and that's the environmental part. Um, but even things as far as being able to co-op more as an industry, I think as AI takes off and we get better at crowdsourcing our mathematics, we'll also get better at crowdsourcing our work. So farmers do this all our the time, crowdsourcing, restaurants. Crowdsourcing our what? Um, our workload and our workflow. Oh, sorry. So, you cut out and I didn't hear. Oh, so. it's all right. It's all right. And so it's one of those things like farms already do this. Restaurants already do that. A restaurant, I can't think of an example off the top of my head, but they might have three different brands of restaurants. You don't know they're all connected, but all that pre-ordered food sits in one warehouse. Yeah. So that way everyone's not having they just, oh, I ordered 10 hamburgers. I ordered 10 hot dogs. This guy orders 10 chicken. And then one truck's driving all that. No, one truck brings it all to one center place that's closer. And that's really the power of regional marketing, why it's better to have a bunch of microbreweries rather than one massive brewery that ships it everywhere. Mm -hmm. Because the environmental weight of the trucks is really heavy, the exhaust and all that. The closer yeah. you are to what you consume uh, geographically, the more sustainable it is. Yeah. Uh, so you may not be able to get strawberries year round, uh, but you won't have a truck doing all that work and spreading all that gas just to have strawberries. Once we have electric vehicles that are fully sustainable, i.e. even the battery is made in a sustainable way, which right now they're not, there's a lot of heavy metals and stuff like that. So they're sustainable-ish. Uh, but once we have that lifelong battery, that you know, hopefully, you know, within 10 years, <laughs> uh, fingers crossed, Mr. Musk, Mr. Musk, uh, if he can pop that out, that'd be fantastic. But once we have that, we can take better control of that. I think until now, though, I think the best we can do is be sustainable emotionally. Because that's the cost-effective one, because it doesn't cost anything to care about someone. It doesn't cost anything to think about a minute of where do they come from. Great leaders don't just hire great people. They know how to see the greatness in people. And I think that's really important, because everyone has a place. You know, whether or not you can see it, that's really your failing as a leader, not their failing as a follower. I mean, I think you just touched on something there for me. Like when you said everybody has a place. Yeah. And that for me was a touch point for like talking about diversity, equity, and inclusion. Like, yeah. can you discuss the importance of DEI in the event industry and how, you know, Pangea AV is working to promote DEI in yeah. productions? So I think, one, the name itself kind of promotes it a little bit. Right off, you can just see the logo and be like, oh, this guy, you kind of get it. We all come from the same place. Um, it's not hyperactive subliminal. It's very kind of on the nose a little bit. Mm -hmm. uh, but for me, for me, it comes down to solving problems. That's really my number one goal. I'm very 
committed to that. Um, so it didn't take long. So I say this say that I'm not some big noble person. I don't have some big holier than thou, whatever. I didn't make these choices because they were morally right. I made the choice to be diverse because it was a faster path to more sustainable and more realistic and affordable solutions. When you have a diverse background of people, whether it's your brain trust, whether it's your buddies that you're calling for advice, because um, I think one of the most important choices you make is who you allow into your little brain trust. Mm -hmm. You know, we all have buddies and people that we hang out with, but then there's people that we go to for advice, whether they're our mentors, our parents, our doctors, rabbis, priests, whatever it is. Um, I think once you're kind of, once you're at that point in life where you're like, I need that, I need that five or six people I can call with like real life questions. And it helps if they're not always your parents because your parents have this emotional bias that's really hard to get around. They want you to be parents safe. Parents are you know? fun. Yeah, always. Yeah, it's always. hard to get them on board with take a risk, invest all your money into a company. That's Been rough, there, though. done that. <laughs> exactly. So you get that. So I think if you're a problem solver, it's hyper important to make sure you're dealing with a, a very diverse group set, you know, to make sure. And you have to put some effort into that because your group set often is just a reflection of where you happen to come up. You know, a lot of times our friends aren't made with intention. They're made by proximity. Yeah. I sat next to you in class. I bumped into you at the store. I yeah. kind of like had a, you know, so I think once you're at a certain point where you're like us, where you're taking control of your life and you're like, I want to start a business in order to have control and to be empowered. That also comes with the responsibility of recognizing of what do I want to empower this world to be? You know, do I want to make sure everyone feels safe and provided for? Do I want to make sure that we're making sure everyone gets that point across? Because when they do, there's a really big way. As the internet's already shown us, crowdsourcing math and crowdsourcing workloads is really successful. It really, really works. Um, and it's no different when you start intentionally making friends that are different than you. You know, which is kind of like a little bit of a hurdle. You know, um, African-Americans are only 18% of the population in America. So if I just want to go and make, more diverse friends i have to actually go out there and really find people with real problems and then help them because you just can't set up and be like hey i want to be your buddy oh that's weird we're gonna like wander off <laughs> you know what if you're like hey i see you have a problem Please. you know but if i see you have a problem you want to learn this you want to learn how to build camera you want to learn this then you just go out and you try and connect them in a way so they help them solve their problem and then you have this organic feedback loop that helps because you help them solve their problem they're going to answer the phone when you're like hey i have this problem you know, and that's what I did. And it took like maybe eight or nine years before I really had those eight or nine people where I'm like, I feel like my brain trust is a superpower. Mm -hmm. I feel like between military background, religious background, people that are full on anti everything, you know, people that are. You got to have uh, a little bit of those just to like, you know, poke the bear. Like, what is You do. You uh. do need someone questioning things. Otherwise, everyone's like, well, what, you know, <laughs> you need. And also, it's just like that, too, because we don't. Too many times do I hear people say, oh, that's common sense. Common sense does not exist. It's common to you and your background and your exposure and your biases and your trauma. But unless you're talking to your brother who shared the room with you, it's probably going to be different for someone else. There is no real common sense. You know, so you have to kind of, and that comes back to where it comes back to communication, make sure you're speaking the same language as far as managing, you know, those kind of expectations. Because you're better off not having those kind of expectations. You're better off just taking that time to hear their story and figure out what they really bring to the table. They just say, oh, go do this. And you should have known that that's common sense. That's not really helpful. It doesn't really work. But I do think that 
some of the initiatives that we're doing is really just about making sure that people know they're invited. You know, because I think it's hard. I'm, you know, I'm an extrovert, so it's not really hard for me to just walk up and start a conversation with somebody. But I think it's really hard for a lot of people. So I think it's mainly about making sure that when you see someone sitting alone, you let them know there's a seat at your table and they can come over. You know, you don't try and crowd them or say you need to do this or whatever. Just let them know the invitation is open. Let them know that their presence is desired. Let them know that their presence is valued. Because whoever comes up with the solution first can make a boatload of money. There are some very profitable problems out there that if you can solve, you don't have to live your life this way anymore. You can straight upgrade. And that's what we're all doing. I call it exploration problem solving. And that's what I learned early on. I learned that when all my little buddies looked like me, I was getting the same answer back. Yeah. Once I, mean, I changed that and up. That's a fact. That's, that's yeah. a fact. If you know, you I don't have, if you don't step outside of your comfort zone, there's no way to kind of like learn about the alternate perspective. And that's you, it. And you just, you just all sit there going, well, that's the answer. And never that's it. And you get a lot of yes men too. You get people just telling you yes, because you're the guy buying. You don't want that either. That's where they the post of air guy comes back. They also don't mean to, right? They also don't even mean to. It's just instinctual. That's right. That's or right. you guys have the same cultural background. And so it's just, it just happens. And it's I, the energy transfer too. The energy transfer where they uh, just like the feeling of when we're all in agreement. You know, you get this heartwarming kind of, yay, we're all agreeing and this is awesome. But there's a prize at the other end of that little bit of intellectual struggle. And that prize is a better understanding than I think we all prosper from. I think um, I think that's a really great note to actually end on because I love that. I think that'll give our listeners something really awesome to think about because it gave me some awesome things to think about. You should see my, I started, I was like writing my notes and like, then I started typing things and I'm like, what am I doing? Focus, um, like bird. Uh, anyway, before I let you go, I do have one question for you. What do you think, like what's what's one event you think that all event professionals should attend at least once. Now, this is me going like full nerd. Because um, I know we have some big boy shows like LEDI. 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 Let's say that proper. Um, oh, always tell us, call. Always tell us what the acronyms mean because not everybody knows. I think LDI, I'm not a lighting guy, so I don't remember. I think it's Light Design okay. um, Institute or something like that. Okay. Um, I'm not good about knowing what the, and then Infocom, I don't know what that stands for either. Probably should. But that's a general live information like, communication technology. Yeah. Okay. You know, um, that's the one where everyone goes to get all their gear and stuff. But those are like the second tier ones. The number one, and this is weird. Some people won't necessarily think of this, but it's DEF CON in Vegas. Because, DEF CON? Yeah. And it's for cybersecurity. It's the one that's so like you can be a better meeting planner by going to Infocom. You can buy better gear and better cameras. Um, you can come up with really interesting lighting designs at LDI, but cybersecurity touches on all of us. It's one thing that no matter what part you're in on, um, it, you're involved in it. If you're having live event, you need cybersecurity because um, people that's are bringing scary. their cell phones. That's part of that making people feel safe. Yeah, you know, okay. you see it on HBO's TV show Silicon Valley. You know, the little nerd guys get in there and they put in this little thing. It's a Stingray device that captures people's data in order to increase their user numbers or whatever. Um, I personally have watched people get arrested for corporate air, for corporate espionage on show floor. You know, when the feds come right in, swoop them. Um, cybersecurity is real, and I think especially in times like now, 
Um, America seems uh, to be in a preamble for war. Um, so with that cybersecurity, and we also have like 14 ongoing declared by the White House cybersecurity conflicts in process right now, where our live events aren't under attack by little 14-year-olds in their Honda in the parking lot. This is an entire battalion of 30-plus odd, takes three shifts in a row, um, cybersecurity military personnel. Um, so I think we all have to take that seriously, and our government does, which is why we don't see a lot of them, because they're doing their job. Um, but the more we're aware of those kind of things, and once you see that really all it is is having the right phone numbers and knowing who to call for those solutions, it's really not even that hard. But if you go to DEF CON, you learn everything about how to secure your hotels better, how to do more secure payment options, and how to have your websites, especially as things go hybrid. You know, a lot of the ticket sales and all the registrations done through websites. And mm -hmm. that really needs to be really, really foundationally important that security is in all those conversations. Because um, I think there's some issues too where even on the disruptor side, you want to make sure your events can't be disrupted. You want to make sure that your hybrid meetings actually go through, and that they're not just blocked out and you're not open up to like a DDS attack. There's tons of people out there that know more than this, but when you go watch DEF CON, it's also highly entertaining. These guys are able to do some amazing things. And right on the back end, they talk about how they're solving. And the more I hang out with computer programmers and stuff like that, the more I start, the more I started being less biased about problem solving because it really is mathematical. You know, it doesn't take long for you to realize that either want to solve the problem or you want to blame someone for the problem yeah get away from blame blame is for the historians and the story writers and the reporters if you're on the ground you should only be concerned with solving the problem and i hope that helps so defcom is my voice my vote <laughs> i love that um it sounds like an, an event i would actually want to attend um, oh it's so much thank fun you for, thank you for sharing that with us and thank you for your time and all your background and all the information I know the listeners, the listeners, woo, I know the <laughs> listeners are going to love it. Um, and I look forward to hearing everybody's comments and feedback. That's awesome. Thank you for having me. This was a lot of fun. Same. Have a great day. And that's a wrap for this episode of Aventus 365. We hope you enjoyed listening and learning something new today. If you enjoyed the show, please leave us a review on your favorite podcast platform to help event professionals discover us. Don't forget to subscribe so you never miss an episode and sign up for our newsletter for behind-the-scenes content and updates on upcoming events. If you have any suggestions for future topics or guests or just want to say hello, you can reach us at info at eventus365.com. We love hearing from our listeners. Thanks again for tuning in, and we'll see you next time on Aventus 365.